Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and welcome to today's show as we ask... Was yesterday's football match the most boring Fulham game you've ever seen? We'll have your suggestions for why that may not quite be the case. Uh, But not all that much to discuss, apart from Josh Onuma's 95th minute winner, pretty much cementing our playoff place. And who knows, has it just kept us clinging on by our fingernails for the top two? All that to discuss. Uh, And I've got three men who, I don't know if they were in the pub yesterday. Let's find out. Ben Jarman, were you in a pub yesterday? No, I was not in a pub yesterday. Cam Ramsey, were you in a pub yesterday? Definitely not, but I wish I was. Joe Sanson, were you in a pub yesterday? I was not in a pub yesterday. Oh, I'm the odd one out. I kind of was in a pub. So Jack came round here. Um, Jack Collins came round and watched the match. And we were just kind of buzzed after Josh Onuma scored that. So we were like, should we go to Putney High Street? Um, (laughs) So we did. We went to the Lost & Co on Putney High Street and um, had one beer. So it was a it was a big night out for for Jack and I. One beer at the pub. Uh, it felt good to be back. Hope you've had a good weekend wherever you are. Um, let's get into some three word reviews from yesterday's win. Ben, you're on uh, uh, three WR duty. What came in? I am. Yeah. So we had a look at Instagram for this week's uh, three word reviews. There was a lot of excellent content on there. Um, some that can't be used for profanity, <laughs> but some really good ones. <laughs> Um, we'll start with uh, Louis JWA with Bish Bash Josh, which oh, I very was good. great. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Um, then we had uh, Matty Hansford, 42, who said, on him a minute to spare, which I thought was quite good. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we had some bloke uh, going by the name of JJWC, uh, who said, on a mad one. Yeah. Um, and then uh. I'd like to, sh- to shout out all the various people over the various platforms that use the tech like Onoma. Reviews, <laughs> which is my, my personal favourite and one that I've peddled since he signed. So there you go. They're my favourites. Tech like Onoma, sick like cholera. Got a girl's number, but I won't holler her. Unlock <laughs> 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 BJ. Um, ben, I quite, ben, I like that there's a barking dog in the background. Is that going to be um, kind of continuing throughout the pod? Uh, it probably will, to be honest with you. It barks all day and all night. Um, and to be honest, I was just playing Warzone and it's been putting me off. Um, it's putting me in the gulag more than I, I am normally. So yeah, if it, could, if it could shut up for a second, it'd be great. Um, okay, well, let's have a look at yesterday's match. Um, it was an unchanged lineup by Scott. Not a massive surprise, I guess, after the QPR win, although there were a lot of us calling for Josh Onoma to be in the side ahead of Harry Arter. Joe, um, your thoughts just on the opening half? It was potentially the worst 45 minutes of football I have ever, ever seen. That's partially on Birmingham, but it was mostly on Fulham. Yes, definitely up there. I mean... I finally got my FFC TV working and I just saw Hector basically sliding one through for their left winger. So it wasn't the best start. And then we just never really seemed to get going. And um, it did just nearly put me to sleep. It didn't like we weren't going anywhere. It was just turgid football. And it's, it's definitely up there with one of the worst halves I've ever seen. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, it really, really was just staggering. I mean, we had... 80% possession in that first half cam, no shots on target, which 
has happened so many times this season. There's been stats like that. You know, having the ball is great, but sometimes I watch football like that and I wish we were a long ball team. And that's how bad it's got. Well, you can't really be a, a long ball team at all if you haven't got a focal point like Alexander Mitrovic up top to actually, you know, caress the ball into his uh, into his feet. It doesn't work with Bobby Reid. And um, as much as I like him as an attacker, um, watching him try to run the line and be that uh, domineering striker, it, it pains me so much. And uh, yeah, the first half yesterday when when the drinks broke came around, I actually found myself trying to down off about four Budweisers at once just to <laughs> liven it up a little bit. It, it was just so stale. So I'm totally with you on it. It was the worst half and the worst tenor I've ever spent. Cam consumed more beer on his own than the entire Fulham team did in water. He was that <laughs> <laughs> he was that depressed by by what he'd seen. I mean, Ben, your thoughts? You know, you have been banging the drum for so long that possession means nothing unless you do something with it. And either this team or Scott or someone at Fulham still hasn't taken that on board. It's forty-one games into the season. Yeah, I feel like we're having this conversation over and over again. But if you have possession for possession's sake and do nothing with the ball, then what's the purpose of having the ball in the first place? I was reading through the BBC Sport report of the game yesterday and Parker said, you know, fair play to my team because in the absence of Mitrovic, we had to find a different way and still be attacking threat, which I thought we were today. Large parts of the game we dominated. But if you take yeah. apart that, you can take the part of that quote in about four or five seconds. You, you can dominate the ball, you can do nothing with it, which is exactly what we did for 94 and a half minutes yesterday. It wasn't any impetus. The only time we got beyond the ball and made third man runs was the, the one time that we scored. The only time that you know Harrison Reed took impetus on himself to change the whole game with that delightful pass into to Josh Honomer was the only time we got in there, uh, in, in and around the box and, and had a, a really, you know, a guilt-edged chance. You know, it wasn't until... I, when I look back on the highlights, there are so many balls into the box where there's you know six or seven Birmingham players and there's one Fulham player. We just do not attack the box like we used to. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a completely risk of our strategy, and it's not attacking at all. I mean, Joe, let's come on to Michael Hector because I mean it's his third preseason um, that he's had during lockdown, but he has not come <laughs> back. He has not come back well from this one, uh, uh, and that mistake that you know the back pass that Jude Bellingham and someone of his quality, I really would have expected him to, to put that past Marek Rodak. Obviously there's been the news this weekend that he's on his way to Borussia Dortmund instead of, of Man United. We really, really got away with one. And there's just something about Hector. I don't know what it is. He's slow. He lunges into tackles. Um, he's making mistakes. It's, it's, you remember that film Freaky Friday where Lindsay Lohan <laughs> switches bodies with her mum. It's like, it it's like he's done that with someone like Marcelo Jallo. <laughs> in that case, bring him back. Bring him back. <laughs> bring back no, Jallo. Honestly, it's, it's, it's very strange because, like you say, um, there were many calls. I think I was one of them actually saying that maybe looking at some of Reem's recent performances, maybe he should get dropped. Maybe someone like Lamarchand Mawson, if he's fit, should get a look in. But on the balance of play yesterday, Hector was just, he was the weak link in the defence, I thought, for, throughout the entire first half. And he improved in the second, luckily. But the QPR game, the Leeds game, even some of the Brentford game, although that might be a bit unfair, I didn't think we defended too badly. But he's he's just been a bit flat-footed. He's been slow, like lumbering. And I just really hope that the second half performance yesterday, when I thought he was 
uh, much improved from the first half. Hopefully that's a, a return to his second pre-season form rather than his his first or third yeah. where he's had no luck at all. I mean, Cam, Birmingham came there with a game plan though, didn't they? They, they? they came to Craven Cottage. They just got absolutely humped by Huddersfield at home. <laughs> they are kind of safe, but need maybe a win, one more win to probably be secure. They came yesterday thinking that a point would do. And, and that is hard for teams to break down you know we've seen the best teams in the world struggle against a side that has only come to park the bus so there is that element of it but Scott just doesn't look like he has that ingenuity of how he knows how to kind of break down teams in that situation well Pep Clotter you know he's he set up his his squad to basically uh, barricade their penalty area for 90 minutes and it worked a treat and um you know, you, you, you can give them massive credit for that because coming to a place like Craven Cottage, even without fans, is quite a daunting prospect, especially when we're uh, singing on the same hymn sheet and firing on all cylinders. But we haven't been that team in months now. Absolutely. And Scott Parker, he just seems a little bit lost in, on the technical area. Uh, he's kind of just throwing players into positions for the sake of having them there. There's no real pragmatism about it. And... Uh, you got to look at that as well. I mean, they, they sat back, but we had the lion's share of possession. And that's just an injustice to ourselves that we couldn't punish them for their hesitancy. Yeah. And they could, well have, they could well have punished us as well, which is even more of a, you know, a scathing look at things. So I, 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 just, I just think there needs to be some kind of resolution, but I can't see it coming anytime soon. I've been pretty vocal about that. So we'll see what's going to happen. We'll see. Yeah, indeed. And, and I think it was just such an indictment on Fulham that really, out of all that first half, you know, Birmingham had by far the better chances. Um, you know, Jeremy Bella did a really, really good cross that um, Rodak had to had to parry onto the post. And then um, Bellingham's rebound later came back off the bar. Like Birmingham had their chances in this game, Joe. I think they'll be disappointed that they came out of it with a defeat. Yeah, 100%. I do think a, a better team than Birmingham would have been about two goals up at half time. Yeah. Um, which is what worries me with the next three games against Forest, Cardiff, and West Brom, I think. So um, hopefully it's a bit of a wake up call that we can't start games like this because mm. you saw the QPR game as well. What, 47, 48 seconds in, we were already one down. Um, I am pleased with the response and I've, I've been quite vocal on Twitter about my thoughts on Parker, but I was happy that yesterday some of the changes he seemed to make did seem to make a bit of a difference, which was a a really pleasant change. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was my next point, really, is especially the half-time change of, of Brian for a doy. Ben did work, and, and we talked about making proactive substitutions rather than reactive substitutions. Obviously, he also made the uh, the Onoma change after 60 as well. He, he is maybe starting to learn from his last few games that sometimes you need to change it up if it's not working, and, and he did do that in, in his credit. Yeah, to his credit, he, he managed to identify two areas of the pitch where we needed significant impetus to change the game in our favour, and I thought both of those changes brought us significant balance. I thought Joe Bryan's attacking um, intentions down the left-hand side definitely brought us an, an additional threat. Um, I thought Dennis... To, his, to, to maybe his, his discredit wasn't having the best game. So um, fair play to Parker to, to, for bringing him off um, and then putting Joe on. And I thought Onoma just completely changed the di- that dynamic of the midfield. I feel like sometimes when we've got Reed, Arta, 
and Kearney in there that they both, all, all three of them, try to drop off to receive the ball in deeper areas because they're just more comfortable facing the play. Whereas mm. I think Josh is a little bit more effective on the uh, or, or prefers it to be on the half turn. I thought um, saw some really good stats yesterday from from George Singer saying that basically when Kearney wasn't firing, no one in that midfield was firing until Onoma came on. So it was a good change from Scott. And yeah, he deserves credit for doing that. Speaking of George Singer, um, good uh, time to remind me. Um, he has started a kind of new Twitter account all about stats for Fulham. Um, it is affiliated with Fulhamish, but it's a place maybe a little bit more independent of, of Fulhamish where he can kind of spout his stats nonsense, basically. But SW6 Stats on Twitter, well worth a follow. Um, George definitely knows his stuff when it comes to all things XG and the like. So um, do give him a follow on Twitter um, if you you don't already he's just basically converted his old account but uh certainly worth uh, a follow if you do enjoy all the stat sides of, of fulham i mean joe is it a no-brainer that josh starts on tuesday against forest he does allow our midfield to feel a lot more balanced or is it something that's actually on is quite good off the bench it's quite good when you've got someone with the energy of josh on coming in and really impacting the game in the last 30 minutes against a more tired midfield. It is something to think about. Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, personally, I thought he should have started yesterday anyway, after his performances off the bench against uh, QPR, maybe to a lesser extent Leeds. I thought he was okay. Yes, Um, he was. I I think that he should start, but he is a good option off the bench. But I think think him and him next to Reid gives something quite something a quite a nice balance because I feel that um, Arta and Reed together, although I do have my problems with Arta sometimes, they're seemingly solid. Um, but I think Onoma just gives something a bit more different going forward. Like even before the goal, he was doing shots from long range. He was just driving us forward a bit more. I just think he's a better all-round player next to someone like Reed that sort of lets him get on with it and hopefully lets Kearney get on with it as well. Um, so personally, I would start on um, Tuesday night, I'd start on a Reed and Kearney myself. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. Cam, I imagine you'd be uh, much the same. And speaking of Kearney, I thought he was actually better all round yesterday for the 90 minutes than he maybe has been in, in the last three games. Yeah, I mean, where Kane is concerned, he always goes through stages and seasons where he suddenly drops off the face of the earth and uh, <laughs> trying to find them again is an absolute mission. And uh, you can't poke or prod him in the right direction for him to actually do something worthwhile. But yesterday, he seemed to be uh, ticking ticking over quite nicely in the midfield. Um, where Onim is concerned in, in that regard, I think that he's a very well-balanced midfielder and a make-weight between our offence and defence. And uh, he's a real positive kind of energy that we have and we can actually utilise very, very well. And I understand your point of having him coming off you know, the bench around 70 minutes or so, but we also need to start hitting the games from the first whistle and to have that kind of uh, positive edge from the start. Um, I don't see it on Arta. I think Arta is an absolute waste of space in the midfield, and uh, I don't have any time for him at all. Um, I think he's. I'm in agreement. Uh, he's, you know, I, I just think Scott needs Scott needs to quit the family favouritism and go for someone like Onoma to start because he knows what Onoma's about. He worked with him at Tottenham's youth levels, um, and he's quite obviously hungry to be that difference. And why not give him the opportunity to prove himself properly? 
Yeah, indeed. And, you know, it was clearly Scott that wanted Onoma at Fulham. And I think a lot of people earlier on in the season thought that there was almost favouritism towards Onoma from Scott because he was someone that he knew from Spurs. I, I love when players, though, do go full circle is how he spoke for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, how's Onoma still getting in the side? And, yeah. um, and, and it goes full circle sometimes. And now we're here after 41 games of the season going like, please, will you just play Josh Onoma? So... Always quite interesting how these things turn out after a while. And I think Josh Onoma is just one of those players that's taken a bit of time to, to settle in, settle into the pace of the championship. He'd not played a lot of football in quite a long time. And also maybe for, for this Fulham team to realise what kind of player he was. I think we all made the mistake of thinking he was a, a defensive midfielder when quite clearly he's a much more attacking box-to-box force. And we saw that very much come to the fore yesterday. Um, let's jump straight to the goal really because there isn't much else to talk about um from the match it I, I put on my twitter yesterday how whilst yes it's a really really well worked goal it almost made me annoyed how good it was players <laughs> playing with some urgency because it's the 94th minute the shackles were off and they were just desperate to get forward and, and lo and behold it ends up in a goal why can't we do that 10 minutes in why do we have to wait till 90 plus four and you know it was the same against Swansea how we suddenly started turning it on in the last five minutes where it suddenly looked like oh god we're not going to win this Uh, and I just find that really really frustrating because it's clear Joe you see from that goal that if Fulham play with some pace and some urgency we'll create chances yeah it's just baffling isn't it I mean I've made it very clear. I don't think Parker sets us up well, but this has to be partly on the players. I mean, this has all just come from one very good Bobby Reed run. But why is, why is that run coming in the 94th minute? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I tweeted this yesterday. I said that um, I could see if this ended nil-nil, the headlines from Parker would be, oh, it was a very stubborn defence. All of this sort of stuff that comes out when we fail to break someone down. But it's got to be movement to break down a defence like that. They're, they're, they're not just going to break, uh, they're not just going to fall apart in the 94th minute. They didn't. It was our good movement that led to that. And I just wish the shackles were taken off and the players were given um, a bit more room to express themselves in the final third because I think if we did do that, um, we've got so many good attacking players, I, th- I think we'd score loads of goals. And it's, they were saying about it on um, the football highlight show on Quest last night that um, I think it was since January or it might have been even December that we haven't won by more than more than one goal and mm. it and it shows doesn't it but with a team like ours I think that's pretty unacceptable we need to be breaking these teams down earlier well yeah I think the Preston game is pr- is the only game this uh, side of oh, Christmas yeah, that we've won by more than one goal but no I mean it's still the, the, the stand the stat very much still stands and before that it's Derby County back in November is the last time that we won any game, including the cup by more than a single goal. I think in fact, there's only three or four occasions this season where we actually haven't won by a single goal. And I think it's a massive indictment. And Ben, for me though, this goal, I preferred it to something like the Mitrovic goal against Swansea. Obviously I preferred that just because I was in the ground and you know, it was limbs, but it was, it was a much, it was the kind of Fulham goal that I want us to score. I, I, as much as I enjoyed Mitro, the good cross from Kamara and smacking it in with a header off the bar, this was a well-worked team goal, kind of reminiscent of the Slav days. 
Yeah, it was it was nice to see us get the ball out wide, and then you have the uh, the underlapping fullback, um, therefore taking the player away from from Bobby Reed, who then comes inside and sees the the run in behind from uh, Harrison Reed. And it's two. It's a great link up from the two reads. Firstly, for for Bobby to make space out of essentially nothing, and then from Harrison to take the impetus on and try and break those lines, which we hadn't really seen for the whole game. And then for him to spot the run of Josh at the corner of his eye and just lay it on a plate for him like that is is superb uh, situational awareness. And I think the 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 finish from Onam is also pretty good as well because he's being tugged and he does end up falling over um, mm. after after slotting past the keeper. So. For him to have that composure in such a tight space and to get enough power on it, I think I think it is it's a great technique from Josh there. And yeah, as you said, Sammy, it's nice to see some sort of Slavesque football coming back, where you know you've got that fullback creating space for the midfielders and then breaking those lines. And it's something we haven't seen for for many many games now. Yeah, yeah, it's been an awful long time. I feel like since Fulham did score a well-worked goal like that. Not quite from the byline, but kind of similar principle anyway. Um, So, right, lads, most boring Fulham game that you've ever seen. Uh, I put this out on Twitter earlier and... Well, it was quite a depressing read, to be perfectly honest, because it brought back some some pretty painful memories. And before I jump to Twitter, aside from yesterday, most boring Fulham game you've ever watched. I'll start with you, Joe. Um, I'll go with Sheffield United in the Cup in 2014, the replay at home, um, where it was freezing cold. There was a, a, an attendance of about three, including myself in the Johnny Haynes stand. Um <laughs> And we got all the way through extra time and normal time with no shots, thinking at least we'll get to see a penalty shootout. And then League One Sheffield United knocked us out in the last minute. Yeah, I think that was the day we all knew that realistically we're going down here. Uh, plenty of shout outs for that on the Twitter. You uh, and Lyle um, said, but actually said both Sheffield United Cup games. I remember the uh, away leg, even though it was actually a score draw, um, being absolutely terrible. Uh, Charlie Boy uh, also said the same. Um, absolutely dire was his words. And Jack has called it horizontal rain, um, which I th- I wasn't at the game. I was um, I was in France at the time, but I think it sounds pretty accurate. Uh, Cam, moving on to you, most boring Fulham game you can remember? One that sticks out in recent memory for me, um, because there has been quite a lot of boring Fulham games recently anyway, but uh, it was prob- probably the uh, the draw away at Charlton um, this season. I've, I, yeah. I didn't actually go to the game. I couldn't make it, of course, but I watched it on a ropey stream and um, I was a couple of seconds behind. And... It was honestly, it was honestly one of the most dire games I've seen from us, just going forward and trying to retain the ball against a very hardworking and determined Charlton squad. But we had a, we had no real uh, prowess in the final third, and uh, we kind of just faded out um, from what I could gather anyway from the really grainy stream. So that's definitely, uh, definitely the most boring game I've seen in a very long time. Um, ben, any others that you want to add to the part, Hill? Uh, no, I've seen a couple of really ropey nil-nils against Aston Villa um, in the Premier League. Uh, we always seem to draw with them. We never actually beat them. And then um, I'd like just love to add to Cam's in that, yeah, Charlton away this season was painful for me on levels of boredom and on just general pain because, as I was saying to you boys before we come on air, it was it, it was a day after I'd had eye surgery and <laughs> I basically begged the surgeon to let, to say it was okay for me to go to this game. So uh, yeah, I went up there with uh, two eyes that had just been laser surd like operated on, and uh, yeah, I could barely see, but managed to see ninety minutes of utter dross from both teams. 
Um, quite a lot of good ones on the Twitter. Some here that I can't really remember, I guess, kind of obviously. Uh, this one I definitely wouldn't remember because it wasn't there. But Stephen Rag says, Scunthorpe at home in the mid-90s said he turned his back on the game for most of it. Uh, a lot of shout-outs for Wigan in 6 7 Again, that's one that um, has kind of skipped me by a little bit that I can't necessarily remember. I guess that's kind of the point. Uh, Ashley says Wolves 2-0 in 1718. Yes, I remember going up to that and it was dog shit, basically, for for the entire (laughs) game. There's some good ones here. Matt Wall says Hull at home when they scored in the 97th minute. I remember that one. That was absolutely horrific. MK Don's away a few years ago. Um, another shocker in there. Uh, Chris Waldock says every game versus Middlesbrough, two thousand and one to two thousand and eight. And yeah, loads of shouts here for the Wigan nil, Fulham nil in uh, two thousand and seven. Mitch says when Liam Rossini's time at the club started to end, all got a bit ugly that day. Um, so yeah, plenty coming in. Oh, and one more. Dan Crawford says Fulham nil, Ipswich nil, Boxing Day nineteen ninety nine, a fourth consecutive goalless draw under Paul Bracewell. Um, watching the paint dry on the. Smith End crash barriers was more entertaining so um, thank you very much for your uh, tweets on that one Uh, we'll take a quick break there uh, and we'll get into your questions Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here and I'm joined by Ben Jarman, hello hello, Cam Ramsey and Joe Sansom Hello. Couple of little bits of admin to do. First of all, we've, um, as it's Independence Day in the States this weekend, uh, happy Independence Day uh, to all of you who uh, listen across the pond. Uh, we did a Twitter vote to see who your favourite ever American FFC player is. Um, it's still got three hours left, although it's looking like it's not going to change now on the vote. It looks like Clint Dempsey's going to take it with Brian McBride in second place, which I'm a little bit upset about because I voted for Brian McBride and he is by far my favourite American Fulham player. Um, Joe, Cam, Ben, are you in agreement? I vote McBride, yeah. Cam? No, I was with Juice, actually. I was with uh, Clint Dempsey, absolute hero. And uh, Ben? Um, for me, it's, it's incredibly tight on both of them. Uh, I'll probably go McBride. I can see, I, I know that Dom's absolutely going to cry at this vote when it comes in. Yeah, I know. There's definitely a, there's a few people that really dislike the uh, the Dempsey bandwagon, and Dom is uh, very much one of them. I enjoyed with this. I enjoyed with this vote. So it was we did kind of did like a World Cup style Twitter thing, and um, basically. Reading fans hijacked it and Marcus Hanneman sneaked into the final because a load of Reading fans voted for him. Um, so he got a slightly unlikely place ahead of someone like Carlos Bocanegra, but um, I enjoyed it. And he got he only got 0.9% of the uh, of the finals <laughs> vote, which I presume, again, was probably a load of Reading fans. Uh, and something we didn't mention in the first part is that the, um, the nil-nil record still holds 3,249 days and counting. And obviously by Josh Onoma um, scoring in the last minute, the record continues. Ben, it's just one of those things I absolutely love. I, I really want it to get to a decade and it's not that far off now. It's just shithousing our way to, to the world's longest nil-nil record. I'm, I mean, you just think things you love to see. There you go. That's it. 
Yeah, precisely. And uh, long may it continue. Uh, uh, there's been so many near misses as well. Obviously, there was the Swansea game this season. There was Huddersfield at home the season before where it's been nil-nil up until literally stoppage time. It's happened three times now. I feel like um, it can't keep on happening. But The, the Michael um, Jackson statue cursed the ground and we'll never see a scoreless draw we'll again. Never see, but I think it's not... <laughs> I think it's a... I, if it's a curse, then it's a good curse in my eyes. I'm almost proud of it. Yeah, I mean, got- every everyone wants to see goals. So, but this, so this kind of juju is definitely welcome i mean mm. jack was saying by the end of yesterday's game to me he's like almost rather birmingham scored just so the nil nil um record is is intact <laughs> it got to that levels of desperation <laughs> in the game uh right question time and let's go to daniel at read all over uh do you think knockout is that bad him and cav cutting in a shooting seems to be our second main source of goal to metro uh you look back at leeds qpr games and yesterday and really most of the time knockers has no better options but try and take people People on um, and hit it. I, I'm not sure I fully agree with this. I still think that you saw that goal that Fulham scored, and you know there definitely are other options if you look for them. And mm. I just don't think that Knockart is looking for them. Joe, your your, your thoughts on this? Is Knockart that bad? Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'd say personally. Um, I just I just think he misses for, for the for the value um, that we've seen rumours of us paying for him. Um, I would 100% rather see a fit Kamara in his place or even when Mitrovic is back, either Bobby Reid or Cavalero in that position. I do like that he has a go, but it's getting to the stage now where cutting inside and putting one over the bar isn't isn't really what you want to be seeing. It's like it's not just going for it. It's just consistently poor finishes and it's just... I do like that about him. I do like that he has a go, but I just, the quality's not there. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, Cam, your opinions on Knockart? Um, he's infuriating, but he's uh, he has got a little bit of flair in him. I'll give him that. I totally agree with Joe. He's not worth the, uh, the banded figure of around about 10 to 10.5 million pounds. So I'd certainly invest that in another uh, area of the squad. Um, and for his conversion rate, I mean, if you're going on a ratio of a, one goal and 100 shots, which so into row Z, then I guess it's pretty fantastic, isn't it? But um, <laughs> but I, I, I like him. I think he's a good performer and he does play with his heart on his sleeve. Um, his temperament lets him down a little and he sometimes lets the game pass him by because he's not getting his head up. Uh, but... If, if, if I'm going to be honest, I would have him in the squad just for the fact that he can make something happen out of nothing every once in a while. Okay. Um, ben, uh, on to this one, which is an interesting question from Louis. says, um, with Lee Johnson now out of a job, he got um, sacked from Bristol City, by the way, yesterday, if you didn't know. Uh, could he be a decent replacement for Parker if we fail to go up? He has a history of bottling the playoffs with Bristol City, but with a better squad, he could be successful. And he's a Fulham fan, after all. I think it's inevitable that these calls were going to come in. Lee Johnson has always kind of been a name that's been talked about um, with 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 Fulham, um, normally because he tended to beat Fulham all the time. Uh, I'm not I'm not massively sold on the Lee Johnson thing, but I know others are. I was interested to know your thoughts. From a personal standpoint, I actually quite like Lee Johnson. I think his team has played nice football, and I think the thing that probably and is a is a big contributor to the fact that he bottles the playoffs most years is because he struggles with squad depth and he tends to rotate very little amount of players. And I think that's mainly because he's hamstrung by the amount of players that he's got that are, that can play to a really high championship level at Bristol City. Obviously, they're 
they're a club that's well funded by local businessmen. They've got a, a really nice stadium in, Ash, in Ashton Gate, but other than I would say fourteen to fifteen really really good players, they really struggled for depth. They also get incredibly unlucky year in year out with injuries to key players um, quite consistently. So I don't know. I, I feel like I quite like Lee Johnson, and, and if you gave him a squad with the quality that we had in ours at a consistent level with, with the depth that our squad has, that he could really do a good job. And I think that it would definitely be a, a guy that you could potentially build around. Mm. But obviously the the main the, the main turning point with uh, someone like Johnson compared to someone like Parker is just the experience of the league um, and how, and how to, to get those matches in their control. We saw Johnson versus Parker um, just after Christmas. Uh, and Lee Johnson made a couple of substitutions and completely turned the game in their favour and Parker didn't have a clue what to do. So uh, I wouldn't be against Lee Johnson at all. Would you worry that there's a bit of the a bit of the Dean Smiths about him that okay, even if he got you promote if he got you promoted, that he might be a list a little bit out of his depth in the Prem? Um potentially, yeah, but the Premier League manager pool is so shallow anyway, and you're seeing more and more people come in from, from leagues abroad or from other sources that I don't really feel I feel like the Premier League I don't really know if that's going to be a huge issue to be honest it's just whether he can pick up the the intricacies of the league because it's so it's a league where things happen literally like a bolt from the blue because the players are so highly tuned and highly trained Um, it's up to it's up to him to understand when those things are going to happen okay well this is a related question uh, from Luke Knights uh, he says, with people still banging the Parker out drum, <laughs> uh, who is a realistic candidate out there to replace him? Um, Joe, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. I mean, I guess it depends if you are banging the Parker out drum. Otherwise, it's a bit kind of uh, doesn't feel quite right to be asking you for replacements. Yeah, I mean, I must say I have been banging the drum a little bit recently. So, <laughs> OK, feel uh, bang away. I, then. I, I think this is fair. Um, so the first person I'd look to is... Um, uh, Hewton, and I know that a few people oh. strongly disagree with this. Um, <laughs> I hear, I heard and, Sammy go, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the reasons I'm saying this is because I've seen a lot of people saying, "Oh, I wouldn't want him. He plays boring football." Um, I don't he know does. if you noticed, but we've been playing boring football all season, um, <laughs> and I just think that I would rather have it with someone that actually knows how to get out the league. Um, Looking slightly more long-term, I've seen um, a few suggestions like Montella. Um, I've also seen um, Javi Grazia from um, the ex-Watford manager, which I yeah. wouldn't be completely sold on, but again, he has a bit of experience. Um, but I, I, for, for me, I also, like Ben said, wouldn't be completely against Lee Johnson. I think that we don't need that much of an exceptional manager, like Leeds needed a Bielsa um to completely turn them around i just think we need an experienced head that knows how to turn those 50 50 games in our favor consistently and get us into the top two um guessing not this season um but if we were to not go up to get us there next season okay interesting um cam you're a bit of a uh transfer expert for for fulhamish particularly um in the summer months and uh no doubt when uh august rolls around uh you'll be uh back in your transfer hot seat um so creed bratton asks you have 25 million to spend in the transfer window how do you improve our team so i guess you could go for specific players or 
probably what's a better answer I would suggest is where do you spend this 25 million well i think defensively it's always had a little bit of a, a red flag a red flag floating over it and uh, a lot of question marks looming as well so i'd definitely go into the transfer market to uh to at least buy a new left back I, joe Bryan isn't the left back for me um he's great offensively and his uh, final product's always been there but um if you're a left back your primary obligation is to actually defend and he can't defend for his life so I'd definitely bring in a left back. I don't know who. I mean, I'd love to see Matty Target back, but I think he's probably got his feet well under the table at Aston Villa anyway. And then move back down south probably wouldn't interest him at this moment in time. Depends where they end up next season, of course, and where we end up ultimately. Um, I think we need to retain... We definitely need to retain some, midfielder, some, some midfielders from this season. I'd love to see Reid come back permanently. Harrison Reed, of course, and uh, I don't know how much he'd uh, set us back, but I imagine around about maybe seven, eight million or something like that for a player of his standard. Yeah. Um, and I also think that Mitrovic, if he is to stay, of course, that is a big if. He needs some real viable, um, he, needs, he needs some competition. And we've got Ankamara, of course, but he's so adaptable and he can play basically anywhere across the uh, front three, but not very well. Um, so I'd like to see, I'd like to see someone like, you know, he's linked with us all the time, but someone like Dwight Gale just coming into the squad. If we are in a championship, he knows the division very well and he guarantees goals and he'd, uh, he'd definitely push Mitrovic all the way for a starting place. So uh, that's how I'd see it going anyway. Cool. All right. A few more questions from our Kofi backers page. So those that have supported us on Kofi. Uh, and again, thank you to all our new Kofi backers. And if you haven't joined the Facebook group yet and you've supported us on Kofi, join the Facebook group. The link is on Kofi. Uh, so this one from Billy Cassidy. Why no fans flags at the cottage? Every other club does this for closed door matches. Uh, loads at QPR last week. Um, I think it's a very fair point. I must admit it doesn't look very personal, the uh, the experience at Craven Cottage, Ben. No, I don't think it does either. I think it makes it look really plain and, yeah, just not homely at all. I feel like if there was going to be some influence from the fans, it would be quite nice to have the flags out there. You know, there's plenty of them out there. Maybe Jack can donate his uh, London Irish whites to the <laughs> club and they can, they can drag that over some seats. But it would be nice to see... Like, Put on the yeah. right-hand side for Cyrus just to give him extra motivation. <laughs> exactly. You know, it would be nice to see like the, the Still Believe flag roll out from wherever they've kept that and, and maybe a few more custom flags so like we're seeing it all over the prem and and in the championship too even clubs like Luton have have flags out so why can't we you know it'd be nice to see us you know do something for once and also there was no crowd noise at the cottage yesterday and um you know Jim and Jamie spoke about it on the the commentary and actually were kind of saying and they don't normally go against the club on these kind of things that it was at QPR and it was good at QPR and it was something that they would put in I mean hard for us to know really what that effect is like inside the ground because none of us were there but certainly something I'd quite like to see uh next question from Trevor Stannard from our Kofi backers Facebook group would you rather we somehow scrape promotion this season through the playoffs or do it in style next season automatically uh Joe I'll come to you oh I mean it's a it's a really good question I mean doing it in style would be really nice but for, for me I would just say promotion now purely because I've seen a few, few people saying um, it's it's a bad time to go up. I don't think there's ever really a bad time to go up as long as you deal with it 
correctly. It's going to be a tough window um, due to coronavirus and everything. It's going to be a short window. But I just I, I just think that if we weren't to go up, um, as nice as um, saying that we'll achieve automatic promotion style next year, we might be having to do that without Mitrovic. And I think it would save a lot of stress if we could just pull something out the bag this year. Yeah. Cam, your thoughts on this one? If it was, if it was um, on the table, if somehow uh, Trevor Stannard could guarantee you the next season we go up automatically in style, what would you take? Well, hypothetically then, I've got to take going up in style next season and absolutely romping the league. Um, I can just see it being a bit of a car crash next season already. The signs aren't good and we're being led astray, um, you know, tactically by Parker at the moment. It's going to take a manager a little bit bit of a while to get in there and really restructure things which could obviously hinder our progression in the Premier League and that's tough enough anyway um, so I personally like us to you know consolidate this season maybe maybe get to the playoff final but you know crash out I hate to say that um, because obviously I'd love us to go up I really would but realistically I I think going on next season's uh, you know at a counter is a much more uh, appealing appealing route for me personally yeah, it really, really is. Uh, final one from our Facebook group uh, from Timothy James. Um, who do you fancy our chances against in the playoffs, if at all? Um, he says, I pray that Brentford get the automatic. Then at least we avoid Bees fans who would be unbearable for years for going up at our expense as they would thump us in the playoffs. I literally had a nightmare the other day that we have, were playing Brentford at Wembley and I was on the telly with Billy the Bee before um, after the game, <laughs> after they'd beaten us. It was actually a nightmare. Um, I, th- I couldn't think of anything worse. Um, we maybe have a chance against Cardiff or the Baggies. Not sure about Forrest based on how they picked our pocket at the cottage earlier. Ben, your thoughts? As I, I, it's clearly now coming more down to who do we face in the playoffs because after West Brom's win today, seven points clear, better goal difference, top two was gone if it wasn't already. It is a bit about kind of finding our lane in the playoffs, isn't it, really? Yeah, definitely. I've still got this nightmare like you do that Brentford are going to beat us at Wembley. Um, And I feel like they they quite easily could. And it it also feels like there's a little bit of written in the stars there. Brentford's final final season at at Griffin Park, they beat their biggest rivals or one of their biggest rivals in the playoff final to go to the Premier League in a new stadium. It does feel like the writing's on the wall, but I feel, I feel like we could definitely take Forest. They've been on a little; they, their form is a little bit here and there. They let a, a last-minute uh, win slip away f- from them uh, just a couple of days ago, and then you have Cardiff. Cardiff are the ones that I'm a little bit worried about because they play so directly um, and with with so much um, intensity that I think that they could quite easily run us over. Um, if if they if we get them on a really good day and Fulham on a very slow day, which we have had a couple since the restart from lockdown, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say I, I'd I'm confident we can overcome Forest in the playoffs for sure. Okay, well, um, Joe, Cam, who would you like? Who um, who would you dislike? Joe, I'll start with you quickly. Um, I'd probably agree with Ben. I'd probably say out of all of them, I'd say Forest purely because I felt in that game in August. Um, I, most days we would have won that match and it was just great finishing from Graben and a great performance from Samba in goal. But I guess we'll find out um, how we match up against them on Tuesday. Yeah, um, I'm going to come on to that now. Uh, a quick preview of Tuesday's game. Uh, it's a five o'clock kickoff uh, away 
at the city grounds. Um, I'm really disappointed. It was the one I had really like circled in my calendar was uh, Nottingham Forest on uh, Good Friday. And I, and I remember it specifically. It was a beautiful day as well. It would have been a class away trip. And, and you look at it right now, there's not tons riding on the match, but you know both sides could do the win to kind of cement the playoff place. But here we go. It's a difficult test. Um, Forest unbeaten since the restart. It hasn't been completely convincing. Uh, a one-all draw against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, a couple of good wins at home, though. 3-1 against Huddersfield and then 1-0 against Bristol City. But as you mentioned, Joe, they did let it slip on uh, Saturday. They were the lunchtime kickoff and our very own kind of nemesis, Chris Martin, actually did some good for us uh, and scored that kind of 96-minute header, uh, which just was over the line. I mean... Cam, they're a, they're a good, solid championship team. Sabri Lamucci's done a good job. They've had um, more managers than hot dinners over the past few years up there. And, and he has come in and, and settled the squad. And they've got some very, very tidy players, particularly uh, Thiago Silva and, and Joe Lolly for me are, are two players that really stand out. I like Joe Lolly because he's somebody that is so neat and clever with the ball at his feet. And he's also got an excellent uh, long shot on him too. If you give him that space, he could really hurt you. Um, yeah, when they visited um, at the beginning of the season, I was really impressed with them because they were just so clinical. And uh, once again, they took their chances and they they did limit us uh, to scraps more or less. And they definitely deserved the win. But the way they've come back after the break, it's almost vintage Nottingham Forest that they, uh, they get themselves in a good vein of form. And it looks like they're about to amount to something absolutely spectacular, like go out and uh, win every single game and uh, and romp the league. But it's got something's got to give with them, you know. I always feel that they're vulnerable just as much as we are, and I really hope on Tuesday that we take the game to them after two, you know, not convincing wins, but six points nevertheless, and uh, we just compound them to a um, you know a sixth or fifth finish, and uh, we we pull away a little bit, and that's what we need. Yeah, indeed. Um, I'm just reading the match report from the game on the Fulham website of when we lost to Forest back in August. I forgot how bad their time wasting was that day. Like yeah. it was next level. Um, this lot, whoever wrote the um, the final line though on the website, you know, deserves a little pay rise just for this alone. However, the goal did not come, and on a beautiful day by the Thames, gamesmanship was sadly the winner. I mean, I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, Lewis Graben is the main man. He was the guy that got the goals um, f- for them at the cottage. He kind of pounced on full of mistakes that day. And it was kind of, for me, a bit beginning of the end for, for someone like Bettinelli. But also I remember Stephen Sessegnon uh, coming and making a pretty vital mistake uh, as well. If you give him half a chance, uh, I remember the goal he scored up against Middlesbrough early this season. You literally just give him a sniff and it's a goal. Yeah, he's a, he's a clinical striker. 19 goals this season for, for Forrest. Uh, and, and still... You know, season after season, scoring bucket loads for for teams up the top end of the league, and he's a guy that knows his way around the championship too. And they definitely know how to get the best out of him. But I feel like that there, there's a little bit of a case of the Mitrovic's about Graben. When Graben doesn't score, Forrest really struggled to score. And other other than than perhaps Joe Lolly, they haven't really got any massive contributors. I mean, the, the top scorer after Lolly. He's on three goals and that's Ben Watson or Matty Cash who plays at right back now. It's a little bit of a 
of a, of a of a stale attack in t- in terms of Forest, but there's someone that there's a couple of players there that always have a good game against uh, Fulham, and one of them is Sammy Amiobi, who always for Bolton seemed to be a, a fawn in our side, and, and whenever we played Wanderers, either home or away, he always seemed to get a goal or or an assist here or there. So he's definitely someone to watch out for. I know it's it seems like we're you're grabbing at straws when. You say, "Yeah, oh, someone always have a, has a good game against us," but but some people just do, and and that's that's Amiobi. I feel yeah. like Cash at right back has, has been a, a sensational switch by Sabri Lamushi. He's had a, a sort of new lease of life, and still only twenty two years old, and is offering so much for Forest. So, yeah, a couple of danger men there. The one player that I love that Nottingham Forest have is John Bostock. Yeah, football manager legend. Yeah, obviously he was, you know, nearly, wasn't he nearly bought by Barcelona twice? He was like the wonder kid for, he was the wonder kid of wonder kids, wasn't he, for, for Crystal Palace and um, just never works out for him. And he's actually, um, he, he hasn't was. played that much for, for Forrest this season. But Ben, he, uh, he's just that kind of famous name and I'm still shocked he's only 28. Yeah, it's still shocked he's only 28 because I can remember him being the, the next big thing um, when <laughs> when Tottenham bought him from Palace. And he was there for five years and didn't make one appearance, which is absolutely crazy. But you know, he went on a little bit of um, like a globe trot. He ended up in Belgium um, with Antwerp and, and Leuven and then went to Lons. Um, and, and since then had a couple of actually quite big moves, uh, ended up in Toulouse um, and played a, a handful of games there and then ended up at Forest on loan. Um, so it feels like he is maybe blooming slightly late, but not to the point where we, we all thought he would be. Yeah, indeed. Okay, right. Well, uh, well, hopefully we'll be able to go again against Forest and uh, 5 p.m. kickoff, a very, very early one. feel like I'm going to need to, most people are going to need to sneak off uh, from the web chat or whatever or their team's meeting if they're working from home a little bit early and uh, get settled in for, for that one. But fingers crossed we can get the win. Uh, and of course, we'll be back on Fulhamish after the game uh, talking about all the results. Uh, the only thing we need to do, Ben, is name the podcast. So what have you gone for? I'm going to go for the world famous bars from AJ Tracy. I'm going to go for Tech Like Onoma. Tech yeah. Like Onoma. You couldn't resist, could you? I couldn't, no. And you have to spell it T-E-K, please, on the description. Yeah. Okay, I will make sure I spell it. I will make sure I spell it correctly. (laughs) Okay, well, as I say, we will be back on Tuesday uh, recording a podcast straight after the Forest game. George is going to be hosting uh, and looking back for everything that happens in that match. Fingers crossed we can get a win uh, and pull away from them and maybe make that kind of third, fourth place our own. Uh, All that is left to be said is to thank my guest to Cam Ramsey. Thank you very much. No problem, mate. Thank you. Joe Sanson, thank you very much. Pleasure, thank you. And Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. And for everyone listening, uh, thank you as well. And let George Cooper know what you think of his new song by his band Sly Jinx before the, web, uh, before the next podcast. It is sick, but if you can give him some abuse, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is actually very, very good. Uh, we will catch you very soon. Come on, you whites. Cheers. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. 
Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 A-cast